Hello. Good morning, Merlin. <laughs> How's it going, Dan? It's going good. How is your Veterans Day uh, so far today? Uh, I haven't even sent out my cards yet. You haven't? Um, doing quite well. Uh, veteran of the Psychic Wars, you know what I mean? No, I they totally call it Remembrance did. Day in other places. Remembrance Day. Where you remember. I was told, okay, so I, I, I actually, right before the show, I texted you. And I said, I have a couple ideas of forming and things like that. But I actually realized there was, I had a big topic. Okay. Uh, but it's not important. We can do it in the after dark. Okay. Whatever. I mean, you know. What, what do you want me to say? Well, you know, you remember when I smashed my finger in a door, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A long time ago. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. wrote a song was about season, it. Season one, yeah. Yeah. Um, my kid, uh, Cash, the six-year-old, um, was going up the stairs, and I'm not sure if it was if he, if, if he and his little sister, who's three, if they were playing a game or if, the, if she's always playing the game of I want to slam the door uh, whenever my big brother comes into the room. This is a thing she likes to do. She, she likes to, if she sees him coming, she'll slam the door or she'll lock herself in a room or she'll try to lock him in a room. This is a game for her. And so she managed to slam the door on his, uh, on his thumb. Yeah, it's miserable. Yeah. So it, uh, it, it, the same thing that happened to me happened to him. And the reason that I'm reminded of that is this was obviously incredibly painful and we had to drive to the like walk-in clinic at, you know, 9 p.m. at night in the rain. And on his way back, he was talking about how much pain it was. And he knew that he had Veterans Day off today. They have it off today. And he said, I think I should be honored on Veterans Day because of all the pain and suffering I've been through. That's a really broad view. Yeah. I appreciate that. Where's his parade? That's the question. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I've said it before. I think things hurt more when you're a little kid. I think you feel pain more intensely when you're young, before life has really beaten you down. I mean, <laughs> before I every I, day becomes pain. Well, the, the, like I've said, to me, the canonical pain of childhood was an earache. Oh, and I, yeah. I remember earaches being way worse as a kid. Now, maybe they're more severe or something like that. But <clears throat> also, you know, pain's scary. That's the thing. I mean, it's, uh, it's, a, it's such a strange feeling. You feel so helpless, helpless and it's so overwhelming. I feel bad for the little guy. Yeah, is it, it is it like it wasn't broken or anything, but it no, was all smashy. Yeah, not broken at all. They had to do, um, you know, they did multiple X-rays of it to verify that it wasn't broken because they, I guess they were worried that it would have to be splinted. But no, it was not broken, and it, you know, it, it just looks it looks really gross. But they say that he won't lose a nail, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, maybe you can get him a bionic thumb. He'd be into that. He'd be real into that. I could read so much faster if I had a bionic thumb. <laughs> Just flip, flipping the pages? I always feel like the bionic thing kind of falls down at the point where the bionic connects to your body. You know, it's sort of like the problem with the cable arm. I'm sure there's, there's an explanation for this. But like having a bionic arm attached to a non-bionic torso, it seems like there would be a point... I'm no John Syracuse, but it seems like there would be a point where the strain of the leverage would just tear the bionic arm off. I think so, too. Like, you'd be limited on, on what you could do with it because of how it was connected. And even if they did the right thing and connected it into your, your, your bones and a supportive structure and even supportive bones, like, at some point, though, it's still connecting with your regular bones. And, like, Will Smith in the, I Don't Give Anything Away, mm -hmm. but in that iRobot movie, he's got a, a bionic sort of shoulder and arm. And like, I feel like if about you, seven pounds. Yeah. And I feel mm. like if you were sitting there, like you could, if you, you could crush something with the crush strength of your bionic 
hand or your your like right. But like you couldn't lift a car up because that has to be supported by the rest of your body, which is not bionic. Yeah, the chain is only as strong as his uh, least bionic uh, limb. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good point. And now the eye, I, I think I'd buy the eye. Uh, as you know, I'm not an ocular uh, physician, but I think I get how an eye would work or an ear in the case of uh, Jamie Summers. Mm-hmm. But um, and the legs, I guess you know. But the the whole body all connects together. It's, it's a very complicated system, Dan. Yeah, I'm not sure how how it works out. It's one of those things that as a kid, it's man, I want a bionic arm so bad. Like that would be so awesome. You know, the one thing I will point out is that in Star Wars, um. You know, spoiler alert, but when, mm. you know, when Luke gets the, the, the robot hand put on, that does not grant him any, addi- it's just simply a replacement. It's a prosthetic. It's a replacement hand. It's a sophisticated space hand. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's not, not, no, no, nobody ever said that he could like, you know, crush a droid's uh, or crush a Jawa's skull or something. No. No. He uses and that's what it makes the uh, Star Wars universe so plausible. <laughs> they, know, they know when to cut it back. <laughs> Yeah. 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 I don't know. You see, I'll tell you one thing, and this is what, what it brings to mind for me is because because I learned a way to open jars that changed everything. It changed everything for me. Mm. Okay. Because okay. here's the thing when you're young and you have a lot of strength, you think opening a jar is all about gripping the top really, really tight and like kind of like uh, tightening your wrist and then twisting really hard with your hand. And that's a sucker way to open a jar. How do you do it? Okay, now this is a thought technology. This is not something, I'm not just going to, I can't just say this to you. You're going to have to, this is, this is like, uh, it's like Zen, like chocolate. You're going to have to just do this a lot to get it. But you got your spaghetti jar. You want to open up your spaghetti uh, sauce. Grab it. But think about putting your hand on the lid. This is a life hack. Um, put, put your hand onto the jar and hold it just tight enough to not have it slip. So don't think about grabbing it super hard. Because problem one, problem zero is that you're gripping it so hard, you're actually making it harder to turn. You're, you're, you're clefting it onto the uh, lip of the glass. So grab it just hard enough that your arm doesn't slip. And now here's the thought technology. Don't think about your hand. Don't think about your wrist. Don't think about your elbow. Think about your arm as one contiguous lever. And think about turning with your shoulder. Mm. Think about it. So you see me doing this? I do. It's a very subtle movement. But grab just as hard as you need to to keep your hand on there. Use a r- rubber dingus if you need to. And then you turn with your shoulder, and that sucker will pop right open. Applesauce too, same thing. It's not anything we could demonstrate on the radio per se. Okay, I'm just, I'm picking up on something. I want to kind of do some FU about. <clears throat> you have had some bursitis in your shoulder or some kind of pinching. Do you think it's from the way you're opening cans? I did not have bursitis. It was not in my shoulder. I had a I had a pinch of some kind in my. You're saying you're saying this could be because of well, the Paul Newman's opening technique. Yeah, that's right. Okay, I, I, I'm not a physicist, but but I know from spaghetti jars. Yeah, um, I am not going to blame Paul Newman. He was a great actor. Uh, he was a good man. Saccharuni, am I right? Uh, could be, could be, could be. I think there are numerous, numerous other good uh, reasons why I get that. And I think again, I am not John Syracuse. There are so many things that I am not today. But I think it has a lot to do with how I sit at a desk. I had a million-dollar idea the other day. I gave it to Matt Alexander. I don't know if he's going to run with this. I'm just an idea guy. No, it is. You've seen, you've seen the standing desk. Mm-hmm. You know, you know he, has a, he has a big startup. Um, you know the standing desk. You know the treadmill desk. You know what I have not seen yet? And probably somebody's going to send me a YouTube video of this. Swimming desk. Why have they not invented a swimming desk? It's a full body aerobic exercise. Even if you're just treading water, think about how much you could get done if you were swimming while you worked. 
I'm just putting it out there. I don't, I don't have the resources. I don't have the resources to go and uh, R and D this on my own. But I think a swimming desk would be a very silly thing that a lot of people would do. I don't people see how. Their, if, which swimming desk should I get? What, what height should I set it at? How warm should the water be? Chlorination. There's all kinds of nerd stuff where people could get super involved in their swimming desk. You know, I uh, speaking of things like that, I tried that butter coffee. Finally, butter coffee is that from Harry Potter? No, no. This is something that you. That's uh, the stuff they get over in the village of Midgard. What, what is what is what is butter coffee? Okay, so butter coffee, which I think um, I'm gonna I'm, I'm looking for a couple links to throw in there. Uh, people will also call it bulletproof coffee, but bulletproof coffee is a specific thing that like someone took the butter coffee idea and then came out with a special butter and coffee that you can only get from their site, that kind of thing. You, you replace the water with Kevlar. Yeah, something like that. Uh, but basically what the, the trend is, is you take, and, and I think this goes along with the whole paleo thing, um, but you take, you get grass-fed butter, and it has to be grass-fed because only grass-fed has the right fats that, <clears throat> excuse me, that regulate cholesterol, so it has the best ratio of like the omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acids. Then you take that- Obviously. Well, duh. And then you put you put that into your coffee, but you can't. It's not just putting the butter in the coffee. You actually have to blend the coffee, and they they have blenders that are like these little sort of handheld blenders you might make a smoothie with that you put. You use that, and the theory is, and I'm I did not notice any of this, but the theory is that for about six hours, um, you won't get a crash from caffeine like the way you usually do. And it uh, it produces ketones, and you'll burn. Uh, it's like burning uh, energy from fat instead of from carbs. And it, also, you're supposed to mix in a little bit of coconut oil or MTC, and that that creates this amazing thing that makes you feel full and have energy all day, and you don't have the weird buzz from coffee. Um, so I got to try this yesterday at a place that that makes it here in in uh, Hipsterville, and. Uh, it was really great. Like it tasted oh. really amazing. If you think of it in just, if you forget all the other proposed uh, benefits that are supposed to come from it, uh, purported, as you would say, um, it, uh, it, it, it's, you know, we put cream in our coffee and cream is like, you know, it's fat. That's a really good point. I had not thought of that. That's true. And so it's an alternative kind of fat to put in your coffee and it's, it's quite good. And of course you want to use the unsalted uh, version. Ugh. No, you don't want really? to put salt. You don't want to put salted uh, butter in your coffee. Why? Because I used, to, it, I used to put salt in my coffee. Are you kidding? No, no, it takes out the bitterness. Back in my uh, Mr. Really? Coffee Folgers days, oh yeah, I learned it from my mom. You put a little uh, little pinch of uh, salt in. That's no off the bitterness. That's a life hack. Huh? 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 I, I, uh, uh, prima facie, I, I don't see myself having butter coffee, but you make it sound like it's delicious. I want you to have some butter coffee. It was deli- It was really, really good. Yeah, hearty. Seems like a lot of work. I, I feel like I've got my process down. Uh, you know, really, it's real simple now because I've I'm not drinking too much half and half anymore. I'm mostly just having espresso when I make coffee at home, and uh, I like the simplicity of uh, some peats in the in the AeroPress. Mm, but love maybe peats. maybe maybe it's like burritos. It's the kind of thing you go out for. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be doing this at home, but if I like if I went to a place and they had butter coffee, I would definitely order the butter coffee every time. Um, but it, it's not it's not like I'm going to try and do this at home at this point. I'm not that I'm not crazy. Yeah. No. 
No, well, you know what? It's uh, that sounds um, interesting. I could see people uh, at their swimming desk enjoying a butter coffee, maybe in some kind of what are they called a camel toe, the thing you wear on your back to drink out of. You could I, get uh, that you could may not whole, be what it's called. I think that's what it's called. It's got a tube, <laughs> and it goes straight to the camel toe and whatever kind of beverage you want in there. So, if, whether you're treading water, whether you're doing an Australian crawl, whatever you're doing while you're in your workspace, working on your swimming workflow, uh, you could have some nice uh, coconut milk uh, butter coffee. Mm-hmm. That sounds. That sounds refreshing. I, I, the thing is, I think you're not supposed to swim at your desk for half an hour uh, after you've had butter coffee. But I'm not a scientist. Because of the cramping? You can get a cramp, sure. Sure, that could, could be cramping. Could be bursitis, lumbago, the grip. Ooh. Uh, you, got, you, got, uh, you are blessed. You're blessed. You're pound sign blessed with sponsors today. Do you want to tell me about something you like? I would love to. I would tell you about a, a thing that's going on. Again, this kind of, I think, speaks to the hipsterish of San Francisco and Austin together because, um, you know, this in November, it, it becomes, I know you're doing this, it mm. becomes M- Mo- Movember where you grow out a mustache. So they, re- they replace the N with an M and you grow. I thought that was a typo. A mustache. Got it. So as you know that harrys.com, uh, it makes these great razors. So they're the official razor partner of Movember and they, <laughs> yeah. So this is the thing is that, um, Harry's it was started by two guys that were super passionate about making a better shaving experience for all men. And I have, I think we've talked about this on the show. You have, so I got one of their kits. They send you, they the, just sent me out some freebies. They just sent me out some uh, new, uh, face sauce. Yeah. Uh, it's really good. I the, used it in the uh, shower the other day for my shaving. Well, apparently people wanted an aftershave. Why not? So they, now they make an aftershave. They, they have, uh, a, a really great shaving cream and the, what they did is they wanted to make a whole better experience with this. And they said, we can make better blades and we can sell them at like half the price. So when you get the starter shave set that they make, it's 15 bucks. You get this razor handle, which is a beautiful weighted handle. You get three blades and now you can get their shaving cream or their foaming shaving gel, whichever you prefer. I like the, uh, the, 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 the gel because the way it sort of lathers up and everything. This is my preference, Merlin. I don't, people don't care. The I'm point sure, is, sure people care. They want to know what you prefer. I don't think they That's want. why they tune in. Anyway, this is the deal. Movember, they're going to help you out along the way, carving and shaping your facial hair. <laughs> and you can go to harrys.com, and if you use uh, this code, COMICS, uh, you will get $5 off. So when you go there, you're buying the thing at harrys.com. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S, harrys.com. You enter the code COMICS, you will get $5 off, and you will be changing uh, the way you shave forever. So thank you very much to harrys.com for supporting Back to Work with Merlin Mann. Movember. Movember. Hmm. Hmm. Trying to find a photo. Uh, you know, I tried to, I, I had a mustache when I was in, uh, I had a kind of, I had a, an air quotes mustache when I was in, uh, in college and it was pretty bad. Is that that mug shot of you? Because I have that as my oh, desktop yeah, I've background. Got, I've got, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a little one in that. Uh, Just a, a mustache or a goatee or, you know, as well or a beard? Well, I'm going to tear the veil away from how this business works. Here's right. how it works. When, when you're, especially when you're a young man, uh, you know, as John Roderick says, we all get the beard we deserve. So the thing <laughs> is, if you, can't, if you can't grow a big, full, like Portland uh, indie rock musician uh, beard, you, you grow whatever beard you can. Now, my problem was that part below the corners of my mouth would never fill in. And so, and I have to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. The mustache never really, oh my God, look at that photo. I just sent it to you in the robot. Oh, okay. 
Look at that guy. Getting, oh, yeah. <clears throat> so I yeah. like that. That's a good look, huh? Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, no, the mustache, I think some people just look good with a mustache. You know, I mean, I think somebody like a, you take a, a Tom Selleck, that's a gold standard. Oh, yeah. That's what everyone wants to work toward. Well, I think that's what everyone thinks they look like. Instead of like, uh, you know, a, well, I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but like a teen porn star. I think that's what a lot of people end up looking like. Or somebody who cleans up after a teen porn star. Called a fluffer. See, what you have, for those who, who aren't looking at this picture right now, this is... And really, pound sign blessed. <laughs> this is Merlin. I'm going to guess, if I had to guess, you're one of those people who look more... It's not that you look older, but at this time, you looked perhaps more mature than you were. I'm going to guess you're in your early 20s. Well, you can see. That's uh, 1989. Why oh, I have to scroll down. Oh, Sorry about that. It's taken some time in 1989. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was uh, I think I was 22. Okay. And you have a great hair. I love, I love your hair. It's long. I would say it's just shoulder length hair. Yes. Very, God, he, I mean, you used to be so good looking. Yeah. And you look very natural. You're sort of reclining. You're wearing acid washed jeans. No, I'm not. I'm wearing 501s with bleach on them, oh, as you do. Okay. <laughs> Didn't wear acid. What am I, Marty McFly? Distressed jeans. And any jeans that touch my body become distressed. <laughs> <laughs> and they are, uh, you're wearing a white Meat Puppets t shirt. Classic. Classic t shirt. And you have a, a a mustache, and then, like you're saying, there's a separation, and then the chin and some of the neck seems to have <laughs> some growth on it, the facial hair growth. Not growth like a, a growth, but a growth of hair. <laughs> like a goiter? A, no. And you're really, really great looking. You must have got Thank a you. lot of action back then. Wow. Uh like legally? Yeah. No, no. This is my, my girlfriend uh, at the time and I uh, were in New York to go to museums. Musea. And that's us at uh, a YMCA that doesn't exist anymore. Near Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. It's a tre- it's uh, your Flickr uh, feed is a treasure trove. Thank you. Uh, this is, yeah, so if, you know, maybe we'll put that in notes. You can go to, I think it's called Merlin's Unfortunate Hair Journey. And uh, you can get a, uh, a whistle-stop tour of all the problems I've had with my hair over the years. Neat. I love this. I'll put this and on And you got just up. one little lock coming down over your forehead. Yeah, like a little forelock. Yeah. A little damp tendril of remembrance. My, my mom told me on Sunday uh, with uh, vehemence and, and an element of disgust that my, my father still has all, still has all my baby pictures and my bronzed baby shoes. Because uh, he won't give them back? Uh, he took those as part of the, you know. Oh, the, yeah. settlement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm keeping the shoes. Right. I'm keeping the pictures <laughs> and the shoes. You get the kid. <laughs> oh, man. That's how things went down in the 70s, man. Oh, absolutely. That's such a divorced guy thing to do. Oh, my God. You take care of the kid. I'm keeping the good parts. Yeah. Keeping the parts that don't need to be fed. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he used to send, I used to get, 15, this, I felt like a millionaire uh, up until I think I was working at 13 or 14 years old. I think I still was getting it. I used to get a $15 a week stipend from him that 100% of it went into uh gauntlet at Don Carter's all-star lanes, literally between that and smash oh, TV. Gauntlet. Gauntlet. Yeah. I'm, I'm, 
shoot, is that the one where you where you ride an ostrich? No, <laughs> that's Joust. Joust. <laughs> <laughs> no, that game, that game before Gauntlet was the four player game. Remember that? That's still that's a good game. Yes. Yeah. So you must have gotten good at Gauntlet. You know, I sp- I I don't think I ever quite got good at it. Um, because I would spend the whole $15 in that day. Um, oh yeah. And as uh, Malcolm Gladwell has demonstrated, it turns out you have to spread it out over time. 10,000 hours of gauntlet <laughs> to get, to learn a new skill. Mm. Violin, Paul McCartney. Yes. <laughs> mm. Wings. You, you, you know, that's all been like torn to ribbons, right? You know, that whole thing, that 10,000 hour thing. No, what, what, what happened with that? Well, as you know, I'm not a social psychologist. We should ask the uh, ask the NPR guy that on Mondays who talks about turns out stories. We should ask him if there's a turns out to the turns out. <laughs> turns out it doesn't really turn out. Yeah. God damn it! <laughs> Makes me so angry. So what's going cool? What's going on way up there? What are you What are you up to? Is your kid off today? <laughs> veterans or what? Um, you know what's funny? I, I, I don't know why I do that with my voice sometimes. You know what I was remembering this morning? Um, yeah, this why? Who cares? Why am I telling you this? Well, I, what I'm remembering this morning is. Uh, on Morning Edition, uh, they were talking about, you know, Remembrance Day, which is what they do in Europe and Canada. You know, it used to be the Armistice Day, you got Remembrance Day, now they call it Veterans Day. But uh, it's funny because I suddenly was flooded with memories of this approximately, I guess, this day uh, in 2001. And it's it's weird how, like, you'll suddenly remember something and it's such a snapshot in time. This is not interesting. It's not why people tune in. But... um it was so November, whatever this is, 11th? Yeah, yeah, 11-11. November 11th, 2001, my, my, uh, my girlfriend, <laughs> now wife, and I um, went to Vancouver to see Sloan uh, for the first time in Canada. And uh, it was really weird because it was right after, you know, a couple months after 9-11. And uh, we got, you know, like Alaska, I don't know if they still do this. Alaska Airlines used to do this amazing thing where if they had room in first class, you could upgrade for 50 bucks. And we thought, oh, heck, we don't go on vacation much. We should do that. And I remember, it was one of the few times at that time I'd been in first class, and I remember they gave us a plastic fork because of 9-11, or a, a plastic uh, oh, knife yeah. because of 9-11. It was really weird. But I remember, like, you know, the day after the concert, I remember walking around, I guess it must have been November 10th, but that morning, it was really moving. Like, how many people were walking around um, with little poppies? And they, I guess a lot of the ones that people in in Canada where are made by veterans, where it's sort of like, you know, you, people make these and you buy them and it funds veterans things. But it was really moving. It was very um, quietly dignified. It was really nice. I mean, there wasn't any kind of like, you know, uh, sail on sheets or anything. It was just a lot of people walking around and, and just in a quiet and dignified way, uh, remembering the people who had uh, died mostly in, in World War I. So, I don't know. There's that, The poppy image, I think, comes from... That poem, whose author escapes me, but it's something like In Flanders Fields. Who wrote that? I feel bad that I don't know that. John McCrae. Yeah, it's a very moving poem. Anyway, sorry to be Debbie Downer. Oh, such a great poem. In Flanders Fields, the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row, that mark our place and in the sky, the lark still bravely singing, fly scarce heard amid the guns below. It's really beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I've had some veterans. I mean, in my family. Oh, yeah? Not too many. My grandpa really lucked out. He was too young for World War I and too old for World War II. So he really, he, he lucked out. My dad was in uh, Korea, though. Ooh, that oh, was really? fun. 
So the, it, my family's still mad that they called it a police action, not a war. It still, still, still comes up. So anyway, uh, there's that. Yeah. Uh, everything is fine. What, uh, not too much going on. I got a little bit of fake follow-up. I have some, uh, some promotional stuff and some fake follow-up. Uh, I want to remind people that this... May I do this? Do you mind? Yeah, no, I love this thing. This is important. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, this Thursday at 7 o'clock uh, is the 6th uh, X-Men meetup. Un- ungainly X-Men meetup. So if you want to meet me and say hi and talk about comics, get a drink, come out to Two Cats Comic comics on uh, West Portal Avenue here in San Francisco in the outside lands. Um, come on out and hang out. You can see in show notes for this episode, you can see links to that. But it's uh, 7 o'clock in West Portal. Dan, in as much as you can say, where would people find show notes for episode 195 of your Back to Work program? They go to 5by5.tv slash B as in brothers. 2 is in the number. W is in walrus slash 195. Yep. Rogue walrus. Rogue walrus. And that's a fun thing uh, that we do. And we're trying. I'm trying to do it a little bit more, like on something like a schedule. But uh, I love to see you getting out more. Thank you. That's Thursday. That'll be fun. Wednesday night is Three Ring Binder with Scott Simpson. That's uh, sold out, which is not hard because it's a very small little fire trap. But uh, I'll be out and about. So anyway, if you are coming out on Wednesday night, say hi. Coming on Thursday night to the comics meetup. Thursday night, West Portal. Please come. It's really cool. Um, uh, the uh, you know that Silver Surfer trade is out. You could get that. You could pick that up. Uh, I think the Ms. Marvel trade is out with the first like five issues. Oh, cool. There's a lot of good stuff out right now. As I'm bravely giving up on so much of the Marvel Universe right now. Well, <laughs> they I, just booted everything again. I know. It's like, I mean, uh, it's just too much. It's too much, Dan. It's too much. Uh, Ms. Marvel's really good. It's really, it's really cool. So there's that. Uh, also, um, our, our old friend John Gruber, I was on his show, The Talk Show, uh, which came out, uh, I think, like on Friday. But please go listen to it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we talk about uh, why time exists, how to do math. <clears throat> we uh, talk about um, uh, rock and roll and the rainbow wig guy, Marlin's man. It's <laughs> jam-packed with all the latest information about the uh, Apple ecosystem. So check that out. There's a link in show notes to that over on Daring Fireball. That's it for promotion. Uh, did you? I have I have one piece of actual follow up. Did you want to? Did you want to mention anything? Yeah, uh, as far as promotional, uh, anything you want. It's your show, man. Oh, it's my show now. Huh? huh. Who makes the Skype call? Is that I'm how little, it's I'm, determined? I'm the little spoon. I'm the little spoon. You're the big. Spoon. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, well, I I I will mention uh, five by five has a Patreon. You go to patreon.com slash five by five. That's all. That's expensive. That's a that's a nice that's a nice stick. Yeah. People keep saying I should promote it, and I say, can you know, I, yeah. I promote it enough on Twitter. It's all I talk about. So, but I'm doing little no, videos. Do I'm putting I'm putting videos up there. So people who uh, like want to learn about mic technique, I'm working on one now uh, about like preamps because you you've got a new microphone and a preamp, and so I've been do, working on a video that's showing like here's different microphones and here's the ones that get preamps and here's why we use this kind of preamp. And even Marco has finally come around. And he got himself in uh, uh, one of these giant uh, preamp things that that he has. He's experimenting with. So, you know, oh, man, I mean, just based on his Twitter, it sounds like he's more than experimenting. He's Marco. Uh, <clears throat> Marco he gets into gets, stuff, doesn't he? He gets, he gets very into, into it. stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, we benefit from that. We do. Headphones. Uh, headphones. Fish. <laughs> fish. Um. <laughs> mm, and then. 
Let's see, how, how far in are we? Oh, it's hard to tell because the, the thing dropped. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> do you want to tell me about minutes. something else you like? 30 you minutes. Something else? Yeah, you better tell me about something else you like. MailChimp. Told you about MailChimp. In fact, when I busted my finger up and I slammed it in a, in a garage door, Merlin wrote a song about it and MailChimp created a special website around that. Do you remember that? A rock opera. <laughs> do you remember that? Let's see. Ooh, be soon. Yes. Uh, uh, with his bangy hand. Yeah, that's right. That was you. Um, that's back when you. I do remember that. I sang that. You did do that. Well, <laughs> Mailchimp, Mailchimp is into sponsoring really cool things, including the show. And uh, they, what they basically are is they are uh, easy email newsletters. And newsletters have experienced a, a big renaissance, uh, along with apparently podcasting. And uh, what's great about that is they make it incredibly easy to make a newsletter. Uh, we have a newsletter for the show. We use one of their really cool features that I think podcasters should know more about and, and bloggers, of course, do know about, uh, which is you can point their newsletter service at an RSS feed. It will look at that RSS feed and anytime that it updates or based on the parameters that you set, it will automatically like create a newsletter based around that. Well, we do this show once a week, so it'll go once a week and find, oh, Merlin and Dan did a new show and it'll pull that and it'll turn it into a newsletter. It sends it out and it has like the links to the show and cool, cool art in it and all that kind of stuff. All this is like built into MailChimp. They're the place to go if you're doing a newsletter. You can, uh, you know, collect like signups at a trade show on your iPad, but they have a brand new thing called MailChimp Snap, which just launched. It's currently positioned as an app like for retailers, but it's really cool for anybody who just wants to send like a quick photo-based email. So go check it out. Never been a better time to sign up because you can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for free forever. They made a special URL for us. It's MailChimp.com slash 5 by 5 Go check them out. MailChimp, always wonderful uh, supporting us. So uh, MailChimp.com slash 5 by 5 Thanks very much to them for supporting uh, Merlin Mann and Back to Work. Thank you. Ooh, soon. That was a good, that was a fun uh, rock opera. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. I like music. I should get back into the music. Yeah, you used to play. You used to play the guitar all the time. You used to do yeah, 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 all yeah. that stuff. And then the bursitis took me out. That's a lost bummer, my, man. How's lost your, my downstroke. How, I have a sleep problem I want to tell you about. This is really screwing oh. me out. Oh, okay. Um, can we put a pin in that and I'll finish this one bit of follow-up? I don't have to do this. No, let's hear it. Let's do it. We got uh, some follow-up from uh, listener uh, Caitlin, last name withheld. She said, uh, I had a quick comment about the red light yes. in a few episodes previously. Uh, our neighbors are from Vietnam, and when we first moved in, we saw their red light on all night. While passing by, we clearly saw it was a religious shrine, a religious shrine they have in their living room that they keep lit. I mean, maybe they have a lizard they keep next to their shrine, or maybe they're Satanists, but my guess is they are Buddhist, question mark. I did some searching, but I couldn't find anything on why they need to light it all night. Maybe you guys can stir up some more info. So I'm just, um, thank you very much to Caitlin, last name withheld. Uh, that's, uh, but that's, that's another theory. It could be a, it could be a shrine. So, so far we've got, we've got, we don't know, maybe drugs. Number two, we've got very likely, uh, some kind of a lizard that needs to stay warm because of their cold bloodedness. And, uh, the third one, it might be a shrine. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I appreciate the email and, and I definitely open to possibilities. I was, it's funny because last night my kids thought they heard some kind of strange like growl or animalistic yell that, that was they, me. well, I, it was before my, I, my barbaric, yell. it was before I got home from work and me. they were 
I like, leave when you come home. You do? They were wigged out. Hello. Hello, kids. It's me. Uncle Growly. And they they were both really creeped out by it, though. And like they I, I, I and apparently uh, my wife was unable to calm them down about it. So they had me checking different parts of the house and checking different things. And they were saved. They're like, we think it's something out the front door. Finally, this was like the last, you know, the last uh, frontier. I said, well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll go outside. I'll go out front. They're like, no, don't go out there. Don't go. I said, I, it's fine. I'll go out and I'll look. And so I went out front. And I was just sort of standing there enjoying the, the quiet of the neighborhood and look across the street. The light's still on. So I come back in and I said, the light's still on. There's no monsters or anything, guys. It's fine. But the light's still on. And my wife says, just go over there already. I'm tired of hearing you talk about this light. Just go over there and talk and ask them what it is. I'm like, no, I don't. You know, it's like an invasion of their privacy. But I don't think that they're Buddhists. They, they seem... Mainstream to me, very mainstream family. <laughs> and as a Buddhist, I think it's fine for me to say that, right? Like I'm a practicing Buddhist. I can say that. Yeah, you're allowed to, you're allowed to use that word. Right. So I think they're too mainstream for that. They're very, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwich kind of family. Applebee's. Applebee's. So I don't, I don't think it's a shrine. Unless right. it's a shrine to their lizard. To the Lizard King. Lizard King. I could do anything. Too many cooks. Too many I haven't watched cooks. it. I haven't watched it yet. Here, I'll, I'll hear you. Ready? Too yeah. many cooks. No, that's, that, 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 that song uh, will be in your head for a pretty long time. Too many cooks. Too many cooks. Too many cooks. Too many cooks. Um, I got other stuff, but that's pretty much it. That's it for the for the follow up. So we've got uh, the bangy hand, and you had a sleep problem. It's still happening. Yes. Would you like to share it with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to. Okay, so we had this ridiculous time change that Doctor Drang apparently likes because he lives in Chicago. He's got a reason for everything. Yeah, he does. Oh, that guy. I met him. Have you met him? You can't. You can't meet Doctor Drang. I did meet him. I had dinner with him. You can interact with his avatar, but uh, you never actually meet Dr. Trang. I also met uh, Ben uh, Grace. Was it Ben Chapman that we, or the other one? Who? Don. Oh, you met Don Schaffner. Don Schaffner, that's Donald right. Schaffner? He's the one that oh introduced God. me to Ben Chapman. He's going to hate me now for that. But yeah, he was great. He came out, we ate, uh, we ate at the Salt Lake. We had barbecue. Oh, that's terrific. You couldn't get into the salty bone or, uh, or, or you couldn't get into suck the bone or. Uh, you think of Franklin's. Franklin Plate. Well, I didn't want to make him wait three hours for barbecue. <clears throat> Are you kidding me? In this economy? I know. Um, Dr. Donald Schaffner is a friend of mine. Wonderful and I, man. He, 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 he gets a little sensitive when I call him Dr. Donald Schaffner because he knows I'm, I'm ribbing him because he, he is an actual real doctor and he's a, he's a food scientist at Rutgers University and turns out he's responsible uh, for a talk of mine that a lot of people uh, have seen. I was going to say like, but have seen, which is when I went to Rutgers University and my slides didn't work and I had to wing it for a really long time and the audience was not into it but it, it was a talk i really liked on time and attention and that was one of the first places i think i uh, ever did it isn't he a nice man so nice he's so smart and so much he fun. knows lots of stuff and he lives uh, in uh, in bruce springsteen's hometown oh really i don't want to be creepy but yeah, yeah. Isn't that, i'm so glad you guys got to meet that's so nice well the whole time we just had a great time we talked we talked about foodborne illness we talked about beef jerky i mean everything it was great yeah, he is, uh, 
he's amazing and an extremely uh, productive guy. And he does he does a um, uh, a podcast on uh, on food safety. And so I will uh, put that. In, the, the, it, the, it's more fun than it sounds. I, I will put it in uh, in notes. Way That's ahead of you. Slam. Way ahead of you. Oh, hmm, hmm. food Turns safety out. talk. Food safety talk. He's a great guy. Anyway, uh, we had a, a great time with him. But uh, so the the sleep problem that I'm having is this time change. That now my usual time that I have to wake up in order to get myself and my family ready so that I can get my kid to school. He has to be at school at like seven thirty. I've got to wake up at like 6, 6, 15 a.m. And that's fine. But ever since this time change now, I find I'm waking up at 5 a.m. And I will look at the clock and I will say, no, I am not getting up at 5 a.m. Because usually I'm falling asleep at 11. I'll say, I'm not getting up at 5 a.m. I will lay there. Why do wake at 5 a.m.? I will lay there and will myself to go back to sleep which can take 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Then I'll fall asleep sometime at 5.30 only to wake up at 6.15 in the, out of a de- you know, that deep right, right, right. sleep period. It's, it's funny because going back to sleep in the, in the morning, uh, well, two things. First of all, like in, in my sleep science I've been working on, yes, I am sometimes amazed how hard I can fall asleep for, for 20 minutes after I've been awake and thinking I'm never going to get back to sleep. Yeah. But that's also just for what it's worth. That's also a time when you're, um, I think, somewhat more likely to dream in a way that you remember. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. But then I'll wake up and it, it will be that awful sloth and torpor, to use a Buddhist term, kind of feeling of just now I, I don't want to wake up and it, I'm dragging and it, it, the coffee doesn't, even butter coffee doesn't help. And, you know, like you're just, you just don't want to move. You don't want to get up. You just, you're fighting today. And then all day you feel kind of weird. And I guess yep. the, the answer would be go to bed at nine 30. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, if you wake up at five, great, you've got great sleep and you're just up early with like raring to go in the day, but I don't want to do that. I want to push that wake up time to six. I don't know what it is. And often I find it when I'm waking up at five, that it's not just like, Oh, it's five. Like I'm waking up. I feel all right. It's like I'm waking up out of like a, almost with like a start of some kind, you know, like I'm, oh, mm-hmm. oh uh, 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 uh. I got a black. So you're looking for, uh, looking for solutions. Yeah. Uh, I got, I got, uh, you know, you already said it. You, you got to go to bed earlier. You got to at least try it. I mean, not gotta, you don't have to do anything but die, but you could, um, <laughs> what I would suggest is try going to bed earlier and, uh, and see if it, it makes a difference. You know, there's another thing I keep hearing about. <clears throat> I don't want to get super into this because I don't know anything about it, but uh, I've heard numerous times in the last few months about the old style of sleeping that most people did in the pre-electric days. Do you know about this where we used to sleep two sleeps, first sleep and second sleep? I read something about that, but I don't understand it. Yeah, Stephen Johnson talks about it in his uh, documentary thing, and I've read it in several places. But uh, it turns out, according to these folks, that uh, in the days before sleep, most people would go to bed might might go to bed at eight or nine o'clock or something like that. Wake up sometime around midnight or one. Be awake for up to two hours. Do stuff in that interregnum, and then go back to bed for a second sleep. And that was that was like the way that our bodies supposedly worked for a long time. So the, it's not, you know, it's nice to try and get eight hours of sleep if you can. But the the thing that our body kind of wants, given its own supposedly mm-hmm. given its own uh, devices, would be to do that. So. I don't know. It's funny. It's a, like a, 
it's something where like I I think if you can, it's great to try and get as many contiguous hours of sleep if you as you can. But if you can't, then I think you have to try to not stress over how you make it up, whether that's through naps or through getting up and then going back to bed or something. But you know, the stress is kind of the worst part. For people with insomnia, a lot of my friends who have insomnia will say the worst part is that uh, kind of anxiety about insomnia. That like once you start being aware that you might not get back to sleep, like you'll never get back to sleep. Right. <clears throat> but what, what, so what's waking you up at five? Nothing. There's no sound. There's no light. There's nothing that happens at that time. I think it's because the time change I was waking up at six before and that, you know, was, is the five now. I don't know. I really don't know. Hmm. But I've never really had this particular sleep issue before. I've definitely had times where I couldn't, couldn't quite fall asleep or was up later and, you know, missed a window. You get your second win and then you, you, you can't sleep. That's not, doesn't seem to be the problem that right now it's just this strange wake up. And I know that like, if I do wake up at that time, that it's not like, it's not quite like I eat breakfast with my kids. So I'm not going to go downstairs and, and eat like by myself in the dark. I don't really want to be in front of a computer at that time because I'm in front of a computer the whole rest of the day. I suppose you could say that I could read or meditate or something like that at that time, which is fine. But that's just going to, if I am up at that time, it's just going to make me want to fall asleep earlier, which is going to further compress the limited amount of time that I have after work. Because mm -hmm. we generally tend to work later because we deal with a lot of like sponsors and, and folks who are on Pacific time, your time, uh, which is two hours after us. So, you know, at six o'clock at night, I'm still working on, you know, sponsor proposals or something like that. Because they, it's always, a, oh, we need, we need it by the end of the day today. And you know what, if we don't do it, we're not, you know, and, and so like mm -hmm. last night at 630, I'm sitting there working on a proposal. I get home, I see my kids for a little while and I, I don't want to go to bed. 20 minutes that's, that's after totally, I put them in bed. It's totally understandable. But I mean, you know, to get yourself out of any kind of situation like that, it helps. And, you know, and I think we all enter into a situation like that. Let me put this differently. What makes a situation like that stressful is the feeling that there's nothing about this that really can change. Yeah. Where I can't go to bed earlier. I'm, obviously, I'm, I can't sleep as late as I would like to or need to. I can't change that much about how I do my day. And I really kind of can't change how I end my day and, and transition into my evening. And, you know, that may be true, in which case you're just going to be unhealthy. But it'd be nice to figure out, at least try a couple things differently. I think the easy one, I, I mean, uh, you know, it doesn't sound like what you want to do, but I would try going to bed earlier and see what happens. And if you can't do that, I would do something that's even less fun, probably, which is spring out of bed, like the second you wake up. Because, I mean, you don't want to just stress yourself out by laying there if you think you aren't going to get back to sleep. But you've got to do something that like gives your body a cue of when it's supposed to be doing stuff. We have to help our bodies out, as you know, mm -hmm. because of things like, like electric lights and things like that. You know, it's easy enough to never be exposed to the kind of light that tells our bodies, uh, you know, how to regulate time. I think that's one way to do it. Um, I've heard people say that a long, like if you, if you have, you know, occasional minor insomnia, um, Maybe not the worst thing you can do, but a not good thing that seems smart is to just lay there and stress about it or fuss about it or come up with little games to try and count sheep or whatever. Like if that doesn't work, a lot of people say like, you know, get out of bed, get out of your bedroom, like go do something else. Maybe don't watch TV or something. But and so, you know, this sounds silly, but for me, sometimes like go in and get a drink of orange juice, walking around the house for a minute and saying, okay, and saying in, in my mind to myself, okay, and now it is time to go back to sleep. My job right now is to go to sleep. My, my job is not to worry about what I could be doing. My job is not to worry about what I didn't do. My job is not to worry about something silly that I said, uh, then stress over it. My job is to go to sleep. And, and sometimes, like not always, but sometimes that actually does make a difference. 
it's almost like a, a kind of affirmation, I guess. But I, you know, I feel for you. My daughter, uh, just she gets up at the same time every day. Well, let's put it this way. There's a time like where you're supposed to stay in bed till this time. And she very rarely sleeps beyond that point, which is 6 a.m. Yeah. So like the house kind of wakes up at 6 a.m. Somebody's up with her at 6 a.m. because she wishes it so. I've been training her on the TV. For if, it's a, if it's a non-school day and she can watch TV, I've, I've finally trained her at the age of seven on uh, like how to do a search, how to turn everything on, how to switch oh, nice. the inputs. I walked in this morning and she's doing a search. She actually spelled Avengers correctly oh, on man. the Plex. That's I've awesome. never been so proud. Oh my God. So what do you, what do you think? What's the answer? I mean, like, help, help people out. There are probably people out there, this very morning, who are having the same problem as you. What, what are you, uh, you going to try? Well, I, I want to ask you first, is there a time, like you're mentioning your daughter, my kids also are both awake at six. That's, you know, like between six and 6.15, that is the time that they both wake up and he, he used to be even earlier, right? Yeah, he used to be like five a.m. every day. Yes, yeah. And so you know that's kind of this unavoidable thing. And I like to wake up around the same time as them because I like that sort of quiet morning time before they're too rambunctious. And it's, do you have like a time that you would wake up? Let's say all of your other constraints and requirements as a human, if if it was just you. Is there a time that you feel like in your life that you would naturally would fall asleep and naturally wake up if you had nothing else in the whole world to set that for you? If there were no other factors, I mean, maybe like almost like the vacation scenario. Right. Like but if it, you had but like a three-month vacation yeah, scenario and yeah. you just went to sleep and got up whenever you wanted to, probably 10 to 7. See, I like staying up later, but yeah. it's not good for me because I need to get up earlier then, you know? If you could watch all the shows and movies or whatever that you wanted and they would just be on earlier or you could start earlier and nothing was a limiting factor. Like for me, I remember the best schedule that I was ever on. I remember this back in college um, when I had a pretty consistent like schedule of classes and my job was fit in and I jogged every day and like I would watch the first 30 minutes I would watch Carson and then the first 30 minutes of Letterman and then I would I would turn that off I would go to sleep and I would wake up the next morning with no alarm clock at 7 a.m. Wow. Yep. That's pretty amazing. No and and it was like this for months at a time you know and I, I remember that so vividly as like I'd start to feel tired. I'd do Letterman. I'd kind of wind down, TV off, lay down, sleep, wake up, boom, ready. Now, I was in my early 20s, right, or, or 21 or something like that. So it doesn't really count because people in their, in their early 20s, they have essentially unlimited energy and uh, no physical problems, generally speaking. But yeah, I think I, I probably slept more soundly at that age. All other things being equal, yeah. But I think it's pretty pretty normal. Yeah. Now, for me, if if I had no alarm, you know, no stress, no other factors, I think I would still be pretty close to that. Like that ten thirty eleven time period is when I start to get tired, and like I will generally, my body will just wake up. I remember being a little kid, and they they would do a similar thing back in those days when TVs had like eight channels on them. You know, they told <laughs> me your channel is channel six and turn the dial to six and turn it on. And, you know, that's where Speed Racer will be, you know, at this, at the, the Archies at 530 when I used to wake up as a kid and my parents didn't want to see me. 
And so like, I've always definitely had that more early of a time and maybe I just need to like accept it. And I'm, I think that's my problem is it, to answer your question. I think I'm in denial of what my natural state is. And I think if I just gave over to it and just adapted and went to bed when I actually felt tired instead of, you know, wanting to see the second half of the game or something, then I would, I would be much better off, but I'm stubborn. I don't like it. I want it to be a different way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's really normal. Um, you know, cause especially, you know, people where both, both parents, you know, like work or have long commutes and you have kids of differing ages, but you know, however it is, I mean, I, there are not that many people in the world, I, or at least in the United States today that would tell you my sleep is where I'd like it to be or my energy levels where I'd like it to be. Right. You know, it's one of those things where like everybody feels like there's, there's room for improvement. I mean, you know, there's some ways you could social engineer it where maybe you could work out, uh, days where you could trade off morning duty. Um, but I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it, it just, it kind of comes down to like, if you're, if you're committed to not taking naps, if you're committed to getting all your sleep at night in one stretch, then you got two options. You can either go to bed earlier or sleep later or some combination of that. I don't know too many other ways to do that, but at least as an experiment, it might be worth trying it for a week to go to bed and have everything set up and do all the ritual and everything so that, you know, you can, um, you know, and all the stuff we always talk about, like not watching TV and stuff like that, but just try it for like a week, try going to bed earlier because that's no fun. And you know, your body should adjust to the time change eventually, don't you think? I guess it should. I don't know. I don't know. Like, why wouldn't it? But I don't know. I'm definitely. Well, it's no good, you know, and it's, and I think the, the natural consequence of that in today, and I see it every time I like go to like a, you know, just shoot at the playground. I want to take my kid to the playground and it's just full of teenagers drinking these enormous, enormous energy drinks, like just full of sugar and, uh, and all kinds of stuff. And man, maybe if it's not sugar, like that's, it's, you still probably don't want to be putting like 40 ounces of anything in your body that, that often. Ugh, I, don't, yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, you know, whatever, teach his own. But, you know, I think that's, I'll speak for myself, at the times when I haven't felt as rested, then you drink all this coffee in the morning, or you take stimulants of some kind, you start drinking coffee through the day, and then, I mean, in my case, the older I get, the more profoundly caffeine affects me, to where I don't drink caffeine generally after one o'clock at this point, because it, it'll stick around your body for like eight hours. Mm -hmm. And I'll, you know, you, the worst thing is, like, you know, you know you're tired, and then you end up staying up late, you go to bed, and you lay in bed, and you can feel your heart beating, just Ugh. because there's still, like, stimulants in your That's body. That's the worst. It's a terrible feeling. It's a terrible feeling. But, you know, I mean, you know, the, the thing is, it's not, it's not uh, a catastrophe. It's something you can hack on a little bit by, by trying to change stuff. It sounds like you've already done all the stuff we talked about with trying to get your room in the right way. One thing I've found, I, I've, I've read this in so many places, and I, I've kind of found it to be true. I think I sleep better in a cooler room. Mm -hmm. I know that's, that's hard for you guys, I guess, because that just means more air conditioning. But um, I definitely sleep better when it's cooler. It seems like you want to be cozy and warm, but like it's actually kind of nice to be a little bit cool. That tells you, apparently, turns out, that is a signal to your body that it's time to go dormant for a while. Like when it's hot, this, you know, not unlike light, I guess, in a different way, you're giving your body a signal that it's not time to go to sleep. The cold is a sign that it's okay for your body to relax. The predators are going away, be in a dark, cold room, and, you know, so that's, that's all I got. That makes perfect sense. And I'll tell you what, just as an extreme example, again, with my kid, he will, if, if we do not push the air down to a certain point, which I think is 74 
for that. It that Ooh, doesn't that doesn't that's mean, not that cool. No, it it doesn't mean that it's seventy four degrees. That's just the 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 setting on our thermostat that means it's cool enough. So it's sort of like if your oven says four hundred, it might be four hundred. It might be three eighty. It might be four twenty. Like. It, that, that is the number that we set the thermostat to that makes it cool enough for whatever. But that it has to be at least 74 or else an hour to an hour and a half after he goes to sleep, he will have a horrific nightmare that involves him crying out, waking up. Like it's, it's like this just – it's a it's scientifically observable phenomenon that – so but, you know, you can imagine like – the temperature is so important, you know, having the right temperature and being physically comfortable. I remember when I was a kid, I was like 11 years old and I used to just, this was in Florida, ugh, South Florida. Ugh. And I would just remember laying in my bed and, you know, the air conditioning would come on and you would feel the cool air blowing from the vent in the ceiling down. And it was, I had it aimed in such a way so it would directly hit me. Because my parents were of the generation of like, you know, oh, it takes too much energy to run these air conditioners, you know? So they had it set to just what the barely... Like 78. Yeah. And 78 was, I think, like what they would always tell us to have it at, which is not very cool in South Florida. No, barely tolerable. And I just remember just like, I would just sit there and I, the minute I think, oh my God, I can't stand anymore. Finally, the air would like click on and it would take like so long for me to fall asleep because... Well, I've told you about my OCD when I was a kid, right? Um, you've mentioned something about with the that. little horse. Yeah, with the leg. Yeah, like mm -hmm. this was that time period. Yeah, the leg leg wasn't right. And so, combined with having to, to get up out of bed to go fix this stupid horse, <laughs> <laughs> and the air conditioning not coming on and being hot in there, it was just it was a nightmare scenario, you know. <laughs> So I just try and, uh, I just try and set, you know, you try and set your kids up to not repeat the mistakes you made and set them up for success. And my wife, do you fix his horse's legs now? No, he doesn't have this problem. Thank God. <laughs> but you know, my wife's like, it's too cold. up. she's like, I have to wear a sweater up there. I'm like, yeah, but he's not waking up with a night terror. <laughs> so we'll, we're going to leave it cold up there because yeah. otherwise yeah, yeah. I'll, we'll put on a sweater. He won't wake up with night terrors. So wear a sweater. You know, like that's what we have to do upstairs. Yep. We have two air conditioning units. One oh upstairs, one downstairs. It's Texas. So what? It's normal here. Can I do our uh, our third sponsor? Yeah. I was just going to tell you, uh, uh, I will. <laughs> never mind. Never no, mind. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. No, it's just nobody cares. I care. I care. I had a dream about Jason Snell last night <gasps> that uh, I was at some kind of an outside bazaar, like some kind of like a flea market or something. I see Jason, like, man, Jason looks really, really ripped. He, he had like done a lot of working out. He's very muscular. And I went and I caught up to him and he's blowing me off. He was like looking at me very disdainfully. And sure. I felt really bad. I was like, I was like, I was like, what's, what's, uh, what's, what's, what's going on, man? Why, 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 how, you know, hey, hey, how's it going? He's like, mm mm, mm mm, mm mm. And, um, <laughs> It was, it was, I didn't, I was, I was like, what did I do? What's, what's the matter? And his, uh, his lover, George Takei, who's wearing the same t-shirt turns to me and says, some of the things you say have been very racist. Oh my God. And Jason nods and they walk off. Same wow. shirt. Wow. Oh my. Oh my. That is the best. Anyway, I'm sorry, Jason. I didn't mean to be ping pong. Oh my God. Yeah. Man, you don't want to be facing down with George Takei at a flea market. No. That little guy's got a lot of character. 
Wow, that is anyway, so. Anyway, Jason, Jason looked good. I, you know, he's uh, he's working on his own now. He was looking he was looking super ripped. He had a uh, kind of like an athletic, uh, very athletic shirt. He's he's a very handsome man, and uh, I'm just happy that he and George have uh, <laughs> you know found found something that works for them. Yeah, all those years married, and to find him with uh, with George, that would be pretty. Oh my! Oh my! Hey, tell me about something you like. I would like to tell you about a product that I use and love myself and have for a long time. And uh, so glad that they're sponsoring. It is a little company called Backblaze. There are a lot of different companies out there that do online backup. And the reason that for me that I picked Backblaze and I tried them all, uh, and, and I mean all of them, is I, I really like the fact that, that the way that this company is work, the way that this company works, the way that they are set up, uh, it's basically a simple thing that you can remember and that is, it's $5 per computer. That's the simplicity of it. You don't need to worry about different kinds of plans and all this other nonsense. It's for Macs and PCs. And you know what? People, they sometimes remember to take an external hard drive and plug it in and use Time Machine or, you know, clone their machines or something like that. But the reality is that most people forget to do this stuff. And, or... If they're smart, they don't want to think about doing this stuff. They just want their stuff to get backed up, and that's what Backblaze does. It backs up all of the data on your computer. It makes it accessible anywhere, online and on mobile, and it's so awesome because you never know what's going to happen, right? Like you could get that backup hard drive could be stolen along with your laptop if someone breaks into your apartment, right? Like I know someone that this happened to. They thought, Mm -hmm. oh, I got all my stuff backed up. Unless your backup drive gets stolen. Like all of these things, natural disasters, of course, files that you delete that you're like, oh crap, I didn't, shouldn't have deleted that, right? But this, when I say all your data, I mean everything, movies, music, photos, videos, Word documents, everything that you've got, all of your user data by default. Well, here's, here's the thing about backups. I'm, I'm not a backup expert and I certainly don't do it as well. I have good days and bad days, which is proof that I'm not doing backup well. Because to me, off the top of my head, I'd say a backup has to have four things. Um, number one, far and away over everything else, it must be automatic. If it's not automatic, it's not a backup. But it needs to be automatic, it needs to be off-site, it needs to be redundant, and it needs to be testable. Because if you don't have all four of those things, it's not really, really a backup. Like copying a file to your desktop is not really a backup. Right. That's an extra copy, which is nice. But, you know, the nice thing about back, Backblaze is you can go at any point and just grab one file. Just That's go it. and te- check it. You know, if you've got backups, check your backups. But, you know, if you to, to get to a, a safe place, this is such a great step. And you're right, it is so simple. I love how simple it is to understand and, and use. It takes a while to spin up and get, get going. Like your first backup is going to take a while, but then it's all incremental. But like I say, if, you're, if your backups are not automatic, they're not really backups. Exactly. And this thing, it's completely out of your way. Uh, it's smart enough to not, like, if you're doing intensive stuff on your computer in uh, bandwidth stuff, it's not going to, oh, well, I'm trying to do a backup at the same time. It understands all this. It runs in the background. You can completely forget that it's there, which is a good thing. But uh, here's something interesting. Um, I had a laptop, uh, Cthulhu was its name, that it was my 13-inch uh, laptop that... I closed and it's here at work and I hadn't used it and I forget how long I was not using it for because we, I, I switched to the 11 inch MacBook air and I got an email from, uh, from backblaze where they say missing computer mm. day 14. 
Backblaze needs your help to back up your computer name. Cthulhu. So like you're in a little personal nightline. Right. It's, it's little Ted Koppel. Yeah. It's been more than 14 days since we've seen your computer connect to Backblaze in order for us to ensure that we have the most. So it, I get this email that's basically like, hey, your computer's gone. Uh, which is really useful because you don't, you know, like they know that you're supposed to have a computer that's being backed up and it isn't. Well, that would, you know, it would really suck if our family iMac that we have at home wasn't getting backed up after like the kid's birthday and all the stuff got copied over after Thanksgiving and none of those pictures are getting backed up. Well, why not? Well, it's going to tell you that. So they've thought of everything. They've given us a special URL, backblaze.com slash back to work. Spelled out, backblaze.com slash back to work. That will get you a free trial, and then it's only five bucks a month per computer for unlimited backup. So go check them out, backblaze.com slash back to work. Life hack. Life hack. You ever have, you want to get out there and hack your life? Yeah. Um, life hack. Life, life hack was used on uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine this week. The word life hack. Great episode. If you're not watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine, you're missing out, you guys. It's a really, really good show. It's silly. It's silly, but it's fun. It's got Andre Brower, who's a national treasure. What did you think of the Homeland? Uh, we didn't talk about it. I haven't couple. watched it yet. Okay. I've been waiting. Um, we've been, uh, we haven't been able to watch it together, and we're uh, forsworn to watch them together. Mm-hmm. I usually ignore that, but, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting. I'm waiting on this one. All right. You know what's great is uh, Over the Garden Wall. Have you watched that? I have not seen network. That. No. It's a little uh, 10 episode uh, cartoon miniseries, 10, 10 minute episodes. Oh, you were posting pictures of this to the Kung Fu, uh, the gripe. Mm-hmm. It's delightful. It really, it's, uh, it's great. And all 10 episodes are up and out and about. Very cool. I mean, it's, it's neat because it's, uh, all, all I'll say is it's, I would say it's um, reminiscent of this, of somewhat of the style of Adventure Time. And it's, um, it's these two, little kids, these two brothers, and it's got a real fairy tale component, but also kind of combined with like old old animation and they're creepy but funny and the characters are or and the music is just delightful. Highly recommend it. I will put it into show notes. I think it's called Over the Garden Wall. Potatoes and molasses. Yeah, there it is. Um I don't have too 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 much else. Trying to think of what else, uh, other interesting things we should maybe follow up. Oh, yeah, look at that guy. He's got a frog. He keeps renaming his frog. It's really cute. Hmm. I mean, I don't, there's, there's other topics. I just Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm open for anything. Oh, my gosh. I, I will, you know what? Throw one out. Throw one Are out. you sure? Because. Yeah. So I feel like on this show, I've been listening back to some of the older episodes, and I saw there was a, there was a guy who tweeted us this morning uh, who said, I can't believe I didn't know. I haven't, I haven't discovered back to work. I'm only discovering it now. I'm a few episodes in. It's great advice. It's great stuff. And in listening back to those older episodes, one of the things that, that I found that we used to talk a, a lot about, hence the name of the show, Back to Work, we used to talk a lot about the workplace and like being physically in the workplace and, and these different techniques and things of working in the teams and working with these different things. And it, and I started to think about how so many of the people I know, I, I visited um, some of my friends here in, in town, their office was recently redone. They re they redid their whole office. And I guess they're probably, I don't know, there's more than a hundred people, maybe 150 in this office. And it's, it's like a two it's like a two floor office. They went half of one floor and half of the other floor. 
and it's a very, you know, it's a very professional setup the way that it, that it's set up. It's been decorated really nicely and, you know, they have it, but then you, as you walk around through it, there's still a lot of this, uh, thing where people will have the, they all have like the Ikea Gallant desks and it's all an open office, right? And people who want to use standing desks, they've gotten cinder blocks and they put in the cinder blocks underneath the regular legs of the gallant desks so that they're just raised up like that. But what's neat about the way that these guys work is when they're on a project, all the people from the project kind of go into, into one little group. And the, so, so let's say there's four or five people on because they build mobile apps for big, big companies, Fortune 500 companies. So, oh, your guys, I'm going to make up a, a company, let's say Nike. Okay, so you're building a Nike app. The four or five of you people are working on this. You guys will go together. So we'll have, we'll have two uh, UX people and one coder and one pro- project manager, whatever, and they'll all kind of work in like a little pod thing where there's no physical division except that they've all pushed their, their desks together. And then you might get reassigned or your project might end and you're going to go work on another. So then you move your desk or you use someone else's desk in, in another little pod with another grouping of other people. And I get they move around. So sometimes they're moving to a different floor. Sometimes they're moving to a different section. Um, and it's it's super interesting to me because something like this, when you and I were in the, the corporate world, this never was the case at all. I remember working in, in a company, a telecommunications billing system company, where there was prob- there were thousands of developers and project managers and writers and software engineers and system administrators and things like that. And you might be there there might sort of be a department that would be on a floor, but you typically weren't even necessarily sitting with or near the other people that were on your project. And to go and talk to somebody that might be working with you in your group on your project or whatever, you might have to go and get on an elevator and ride two floors to go to sit outside that person's cube and talk to them for five minutes. Right. And I, it just, it really made me start to think about the way that, that, you know, you have these companies today that are changing the way that we think of uh, working and physically working. And, you know, they're all this office that they built, which is really cool. It's right in downtown. It's got a beautiful view of the Capitol building. There's still tons of empty space in this office. And I know because when we were looking at office spaces, I know like how much they're paying on rent. And we have empty space here in our office here. And it kills me because I'm paying for that. That's Mm -hmm. non-revenue generating space. If I have an empty desk and we do, that space I'm paying for it, but it's losing money for me. Like I'm very much aware of that, that if there's space and I just like, you know, I don't know that there's still that aspect of you're on this team and you're working with people uh, who are on this team, but like there's still no privacy. So what they've done to kind of counteract that is people will have to, they'll put on their headphones or they have these little spaces that they've created where there's like sofas and you can go and like sit on a sofa and have like quiet time where you're working over there. They even have this cool like room that they've designed that looks really cool. It's a whole separate room that you can go to to work in a different way. And I asked one of my friends, I said, do you do you ever make use of this? And she says, oh, constantly, all the time. I'm always going up. And that just occurred to me that maybe there's something wrong if you feel like you have to leave your desk. Like the feeling of like, I can't work at my desk where my computer is 
I have to go to a different area. Not that I want to go to the different area. I have to go to the different area because the developers that I work with are constantly talking back and forth to one another about, oh, the NS output thing here and we'll move this here and we'll do this here to the point that because you're in this pod with them, you can't work. You've got to put headphones on and listen to music when maybe you don't want to listen to music to get away because they have created this open office with a lot of unused space in it, by the way. I don't know. Like it just, there's this appeal of like, cool, we get these cool little agile groups and we're all together and you don't have to, Mm -hmm. you know, and accessibility is right there. You can talk to the other person and ask them a question and learn from them. But then, uh, then there's the other, uh, the other concept uh, of like, you can't get away with them. You can't have that privacy. You can't have that separation. I don't know. It's like, what do you think of all this? Hipster well, stuff in Austin. I, I well, the first thing is that I feel like the more years I'm away from having worked at a company in an office, the less qualified I am to opine on those things. Because you know, it's, the experience of of being in that every day is so different from what I can remember. And secondarily, I mean, related to that, but secondary is that you know, it really is. It's a different way of working than than we than I than I grew up with. Um, there was nothing at the time that when I was working in an office, I can't think of anybody that worked in anything approaching that. I mean, either you had an office of your own or you had, you had a desk somewhere, but usually it was more of a cube farm. Like usually you would be, even with other developers, you'd all be in the same, um, you know, big room, right. for example, at the dot com that I worked at. But I don't know. I, it, I guess, you know, whatever, whatever works for you. Uh, or for your team, but personally, I would find that maddening. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the episode... just kill, that would just kill me if the, this yeah. is where I'm. I remember I used to sit there and Carl, who taught me so much about software development back in the old days, really great developer. Um, you know, he we used to sit there sometimes at lunch, and he'd just be sitting there and he'd be like, "These deadlines are just crazy." You know, like how how can they expect us to get this stuff done? And, and then the flip side of it is, you know, and we've got to have this, all this done by Wednesday and then there'll be a month where we have nothing to do, you know? And he used to say, I always wished, he would say, I always wish that I could work somewhere that would reward me and compensate me for the work that I do as opposed to the fact that I'm sitting at a desk putting in eight hours a day, whether or not I'm productive, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, 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 that's what happens with salespeople. I think that that's, salespeople have that rare kind of job, and there are certainly probably others like it. If you're in a production, like if you're a salesperson, there are ways to quantify what you do alongside your colleagues in a way that's difficult in a lot of other kinds of jobs. Even, and again, like all kinds of metrics, even if it's imperfect, you're still all mostly being judged the same way, which is, you know, what was your sales volume this quarter? And everybody gets measured in mostly the same way. If you're in some kind of like a, if you're, if you're Tim Cook, uh, back in his old job, uh, you could be evaluated based on like, have you brought the, you know, cost, these unit, unit cost of these things down? Are you finding a way to minimize expenses? Like those all have kind of quantifiable things, but you know, you're right. I mean, I think it's, it's very difficult in any kind of knowledge work to, to pin, most kinds of knowledge work anyway. It's difficult to pin a certain amount of like how productive are you? You know, are you the most productive person on this team that's not making something that's very profitable? I mean, you, have, you would have to guess that there are all kinds of things in the world 
where something is, there are probably people working extremely hard on the Amazon Fire phone. But like, you know, who knows how great, how, how great that's going as, as a sales thing. But it doesn't mean the people who are working on it are not productive or dummies. And vice versa, I'm sure there are all kinds of things that are doing, you know, unimpeachably well that have people working on it that aren't uh, as good as the Amazon Fire phone people. So who knows? But I, um, we talk about this on the upcoming episode of Roderick on the Line where I make a little, we make some jokes about this, this place at our mall here in, in uh, downtown where they're going to have this innovation space where people... They have this oh, I saw, yeah, I saw the picture of your daughter standing out in front of it. How confusing is that? Yeah, What exactly, exactly is happening there? I don't know. It used to be a Barnes & Noble, and then it was the place that replaced the Barnes & Noble, and now it's going to be an inv- innovation space with co-working and an innovation thing. So um, I don't know, but, but I'll say here what I say there, which is that I, I, I kind of can't imagine being in that close of proximity to people. Co-working to me see, personally would be very difficult because on the one hand, it would either, I think it would be, either be difficult for me to do what I would consider work, setting aside even stuff like podcasting, uh, which is impossible to do. You, you know, <laughs> when you hear people doing a podcast from a co-working space, you can really tell. Um, and yes, I think it would be worse than a train going by. Um, but and then on the other hand, I would be a total nuisance all the time. I'd probably be bugging people and wanting to go, you know, talk about Scooby-Doo or something while somebody's trying to work. So I don't know. All I can say is that, like, it obviously is working for somebody. It's just that it's such a different, that kind of, that level of collaboration feels so different. Like, when you see people who are doing a startup and they're all, like, sitting around the same table at a cafe, like, all day. Like, that, oh, boy, that, that would, that's scary to me. The idea of having to spend that much time with other people and and, like not have headphones on would be really hard and weird for me. So I, I don't really feel qualified to say, I've never had to do that. When I was doing freelance stuff at Adaptive Path, it was like that. Everybody was in one room, but it was pretty quiet. If somebody had to do a phone call, they'd go somewhere else. Um, and usually, you know, it's mostly just genial chatting while you're doing stuff, but I don't know. I, I feel like I am, it's not fun to say, but I, I am distractible. Like if there's something I really need to be working on, if I know I'm facing down the equivalent of you know 20 pages of writing, I'm very susceptible to distract distraction. No, I you know hear I, mean? I hear that completely, and there's definitely, especially if like the people around you, and this is the problem I think with like the open office kind of a situation, uh, is um is like they're talking about something that you know about and that you're kind of involved oh, right. in, you, you know, can't help but listen. Right. Like, it's not like they're, they're saying, Oh, you know, this, this, that they're like, Oh, this project that Dan happens to be involved in, we're making decisions right now. And you know, like that, but what I don't get, I've never, speaking of distractibility, I have never been able to get anything done in like a Starbucks. Like, I, I mean, I can, I can totally check my email and wait for somebody uh, that's, you know, we're doing a meeting. Like I can totally do that. But as far as like, I'm here to work, I'm here to write, I'm here to do some code. No way. And uh, a buddy of mine, a good friend of mine, he was, he was tweeting from a coffee shop and he's like, wow, the guy, you know, impossible to get any work done here today. The guy next to me uh, is, you know, talking about SEO on his cell phone. I, and I said to him like, dude, you're in a coffee shop and he's like, yeah, but this guy is talking on his phone. Like, well, so like maybe he shouldn't be talking on his phone because it is a public place and you know, he is making a display of how cool he is, but you're in a public place. Like you can't yeah. expect you. Can that, you? Well, I mean, think about this. Have you ever gone to a concert 
and the person next to you is talking really loudly, where you well, you know, on the one hand you go, well, gosh, if you don't want to hear loud talking, why would you go to a concert? Well, no, I'm there to hear the music. I'm not here to hear this guy's conversation or to hear him singing along. Right. I think one thing in that case is that for some people, I don't, I don't think it's just restricted to people with attention uh, issues, but uh, I think a lot of people, I'll, I'll speak for myself, uh, I have sometimes found it useful to have something going on in the background other than silence. Like I sleep with white noise on. Yes. You know, when I'm in my office, I'm, you know, if I'm not recording something, I'm usually listening to something. And I, um, I don't have any like scientific basis for this, but I feel like, and I don't want to just say if you've got ADD, but if you've got some kind of an attention thing going on, I find that like uh, having some some kind of like background music on, or in some cases even like public radio, but that burns up some certain amount of my twitchy attention. That it would be just as well to get that twitchy attention on something else, and then that oddly does help me focus a little bit. And I think that's not uncommon in people with attention stuff. I just I I just think that. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I feel I'm, I'm dithering about this because what I'm trying to say is I feel like the way people work in a co-working space, like in the kind of functional groups you're talking about, is so fundamentally different from any way I've ever worked that I don't even really feel that qualified to comment on it. But, you know, because everything I would bring to that, I would be like an old man. I'd be like, you know, get off my lawn guy. Because, you know, the, the kind of collaboration you need at like an app startup is really different than the kind of kind of collaboration you need for like a periodic status meeting about putting out a report. Like when the place I used to work, we did lots of environmental consulting, litigation support. And so, I mean, to me, it really benefited me to have my own office. If I was going to summarize a deposition, it was best to not have anything else going on because I just had to sit there and concentrate on that. Yeah. And boy, is it ever dull to summarize depositions. But I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's uh, it's It seems, it's one of those things where... Um, uh, gosh, I hate everything. I I would hate that hate it if everything I talked about became about getting old. But with that said, you know, um, it's it's such a different it's such a different time where there's so many things that have changed. People have grown up on video games, and it hasn't killed them. It hasn't made them stupid. There are so many people that have been playing video games for years that I, for example, where I start to wonder if if there are little small bits of the way that they pay attention to the world that are changing, and not in negative ways. I, I would not be surprised if we eventually see some data about how people who've played a lot of certain kinds of video games can shape a certain kind of cognition. Now, when we were little, would you think anything of saying, oh, wow, that guy's really studious. He reads for five hours a day, mm -hmm. and he seems really smart. Well, we wouldn't, we wouldn't shy away from saying that because actually the ability to focus your attention for a long time on this particular kind of thing would very naturally lead to a certain kind of cognition. Well, look at his brother over here who watches TV for nine hours a day. He's pretty twitchy. We wouldn't blanch making that kind of observation. Um, whereas today, I think it feels a little bit like a third rail to talk about, you know, I'm not even talking about like evolution exactly, but I think people can change and adapt to stuff pretty quickly. And in the generation since I started working, I, th it really, I really feel like people are... Are, are more okay with that sitting around in a room together in a way that I would find virtually impossible. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just more of a loner about stuff like that. But when I've done co-working stuff, um, even for short periods of time, it really feels like I'm almost like on stage. I'm very like somewhat self-conscious about you know, what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Like that guy at the coffee place, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And then I feel like the real work is like if I go back to my hotel room or go back to my office, that's like when I do the actual work. And that's that's a very toxic idea. It's the same. It's a flavor of the same toxic idea that says that 
in my head where you know meetings are where I go to find out what kind of work I should have been doing while I was at the meeting. That's kind of how I've mostly felt. I haven't, you know, but in a way, if you're in a room with those people, it's kind of like a, a permanent casual meeting. Are you back in the day? I remember hearing like 37 Signals guys talking about how they would just like leave Skype open all day, which at the time sounded revolutionary. Oh, right, to me. right. That's, isn't that pretty common now? Yeah, I people, think it's, people having like whether that's Slack or or Skype or something, they'll have something going where they're just kind of communicating. Right, they the they have day. a you know someone who works from home and that person will have Skype open all day and then they're in the office or they'll have two different offices or whatever. No, I think that I even know people who you know like at home when they get home at night they will Skype another friend and they'll each friend will be independently uh, cooking dinner together and eating and they're not like necessarily even talking to each other that much. Oh, uh, I know. I, I have a friend who watches TV with her mom. Her mom is in Hawaii. She's in San Francisco. And they, they watch the same TV show and talk on the phone, which I think is, is kind of cool. I mean, I was much more social in that way when I was younger. I was on the phone constantly when I was a kid, like a teenager, boys or girls or whoever. Mm-hmm. And I think today, I, I, I'm guessing texting replaces a lot of that. I think it does. I think that kind of continuous presence is much more common today. What do you think about those robots you get? Oh, yeah. I've seen one of those. that uh, They had one at uh, Southwest Southwest or something. Seems like a prank. But I mean, people really do that. As Syracuse has mentioned they have one mostly. I guess it's kind of a joke. But do, do, you, think, what, do, you, <laughs> do you think that's like a real thing? Like, would, that, would it really matter to have, have a little robot version of a person walking around? So for people who don't know yeah, what... Yeah, describe this. Well, it sounds yeah. crazy. It sounds very crazy. And I don't know what these things are called. Maybe the jackals in, in the chat room can tell us what they're actually called. But... Imagine a small screen, and in many cases, I think it's actually an iPad, mounted on a pole so that the iPad is at about, you know, eye level for for most humans. Then there is a a, a pole that connects to like little four-wheeled boxy little thing that drives around the office under the control of a human being who is uh, remote. And uh, (laughs) I'm looking at a photo right now. God. What is this thing it, called? Well, like imagine like your grandfather's walking stick on a tiny Segway yeah. with an iPad with somebody's face on it. And that goes around the office and, and like, like come in, come in, go to doublerobotics.com. Doublerobotics.com. I think that's, that's the one I've seen before. Yeah. Doublerobotics.com. That's it. I mean, uh, I, I, I guess I, I understand why that would be useful. I don't, I, mean, I guess, I guess the, uh, it, the, <laughs> I guess the interesting part of that is that you can not be physically in the office. Yeah, this one is self-balancing. Okay, so that that's even cooler. But this thing drives, I guess it can drive around the office and you can be like, oh, I think I'll go talk to Mary about the counting. And the thing goes over to Mary. <laughs> and they're like, Hi, how are you? And then they're like, okay, I'm not. And then they're remote controlling it and they remote control it and make it go over to you know, to Jason in the development group. And he's talking to, to Jason over the, I don't know. There's something that's super creepy about it because it's a lot like a disembodied head that just sort of rolls into your, your personal space. And <laughs> my first, I mean, like, and again, I'm not disparaging this. I honestly, I, if this works, that's great. And I, I'm, I'm really not trying to be sarcastic, but my very first thought was that seems kind of weird. <laughs> and my second thought is why doesn't everybody just have the robot go to the office for them? I know. Kinda cool. It'd be kind of cool. It was just a room full of robots talking to each other and you wouldn't even need desks. You'd be back at your own desk. You would just put them all in a virtual <laughs> space and let them work together. They could have fights. They could have robot fights. 
this is like that Bruce Willis movie where everybody has a robot body and everybody in reality is like at home in their lazy boy. Oh, right, and right, and the, right. the, the perfect version of themselves is out there, you know, jumping right, around. They did that on the flop house. What movie was that? Oh, what's the name of that one? I'll find it. I mean, but you know, anyway. your, av- your avatar is not a computer thing. Your avatar is an actual being that you're experiencing the world through surrogates is the name of it. Thank you to Immumendes in the chat room. But I just, I don't know. Like, that's so weird. You know, I, I'm, I know people who work on their own and they, you know, they will go to a coffee shop because if they didn't go to a coffee shop, they would be sitting alone by themselves in their home or yeah. apartment all day long, every day. And they want to get out and they want to be in the world. And it's not... They're social beings, and it's not enough for them to say, oh, I'm going to have a different lunch a few times a week with a few different people. Um, you know, f- so they, they go out of their house, and they spend hours a day in a generally uncomfortable chair in an environment that is noisier than they would like to n- kind of not really interact with other human beings, but to, f- to see them around yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That just seems wrong to me. I'm not yeah. saying that they're better being at home or being alone, but it just, there's something weird about that to me. Like I'm in a coffee shop where I recognize other people who go to the coffee shop who I don't really know or interact with in any meaningful way. I don't really start conversations with them. They don't start conversations with me. I just simply see them once in a while on certain days. I pay too much money for coffee. I sit in an environment that's uncomfortable for me that I have to drive to and from. Uh, you know, like the chairs are terrible, universally terrible. And I just, I'm not working as effectively as I'd like because it's generally noisier than I want. Or if it is right. generally quiet and then someone does come in and make a phone call, now I'm angry at that person and I'm feeling an emotion. I wouldn't, because I don't want to be alone at, at home alone or because my kids are too noisy at home or like I get all of this, but it's, then you get the whole co-working thing you were talking about. Yeah. I, I don't know. I kind of get that. When I was, uh, spending a lot of time working on that book, I, I would frequently go to um, the same coffee shops and uh, not a Starbucks. Um, just because, I mean, Starbucks to me would be pretty overwhelming just because they're always so full. Um, but, you know, a small coffee shop where you can have your own place that you like to go to and a place to plug in. I think that quality, one of the things you lose when you work on your own, and let's be honest, this, this is the key part, when you work remotely, is you lose a lot of uh, you lose a lot of that sense of ritual where you kind of have to cut it from whole cloth on your own. You know, you don't, you don't have that same sense of like natural easy flow of conversation with people, of being able to move around. You know, it's as silly as working in an office can be. It's also really nice and a nice sense of community in a lot of ways. And I, I think a lot of people are frequently surprised once the, once the initial um, awesomeness of not having to wear like formal clothes to work wears off, once you realize that you can eat when you feel like it and stuff like that, um, I think it's not unusual to feel a little bit isolated. You know what I mean? I'm not sure. I guess I guess the robot thing can help that a little bit, but I think it helps to have some place to go. I'm, I think for you, it sounds like not really your kind of thing to like. No, go and I hang tried out it. Man, I worked. I worked from home for I think it was like across three different jobs. I worked from home for like six years. Um, so I got pretty good at figuring out what worked for me and what didn't work for me. Obviously, that's different from what works for a, a lot of other people. But I tried everything. I'd work from Starbucks, Panera, coffee shops. And this is back in the days when like, oh, my God, Panera has Wi-Fi. that You can get Wi-Fi. Like, you know, right. that was a big deal back then at first. And then eventually over the years, it became 
expected and more commonplace. And now, of course, it's everywhere and you can tether and all this other stuff. But, you know, you could you I would go to a place like that and I would I would work there. And a lot of the time I'd be like, wait a minute. I've, I've got all my crap in a laptop bag. I've driven to go because, you know, this was Florida and, and it's true here too. There, unless you live in the downtown area, you're not going to be doing a lot of walking. This is, you know, in most cities, you get in a car and you drive oh, unless yeah. they're the big cities like, like a San Francisco, New York, that kind of thing. So I've packed my crap up. I've gotten all my stuff together. I'm getting in the car. I'm driving. So there's time. There's gas. Uh, now I'm at the place, but I'm not just going to mooch off them. I got to buy something. So now I'm buying something that maybe I didn't really want. I'm not usually going to finish the coffee or the snack that I didn't it gets, need it gets, to eat. Even if you just get regular drip coffee, it gets super expensive fast. It does. It really does. So now I mean, I, I would generally spend like 10 or 20 bucks a day. Right. Cause I'll eat lunch there sometimes. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You're right. You're right. So the flip side of it is, well, you're not paying rent at an office. Sure. So you have that. But then you're there and you're like, but the environment's not right and other things are not right. And I think now there is much more of a culture of doing that. So you can talk to the other people that are there and you can realize that this person that's sitting next to you, you're an iOS developer and they're an Android developer. And maybe you can learn something about the other ecosystem or they're, you know, they're there. You noticed by glancing over their shoulder that they were writing Python. You write Python. You know what I'm saying? Like yep. that kind of thing can happen uh, and, and does happen, I imagine. But it just, I don't know. I, I, I never had much luck at, at doing that. And I would always leave thinking, why did I, why did I do that? Well, at least I got out. Right. But I got out, but I didn't really talk to anybody because I had headphones on because the place was so noisy because that coffee machine that they use to make the espressos is so loud, you know, like, and then it rained yeah. and it took me longer to get home. And then it, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I am with this. But then, then the people in the chat room are saying, well, that's why there's co-working. And I get the co-working thing. I tried that too. I co-worked at uh, a couple different places. And that's that's kind of better. Uh, but I think it's this natural inclination that human beings have to be social, this natural inclination. Yeah, you want yeah. to see other people. And I, I, I mean, I always, I had a wife and kids through this at my house. So it wasn't like I was, like I would be utterly alone if I didn't leave the house. And I, those people, I definitely understand why they got to get out. Well, and also, I mean, I, I would like to just say, I mean, I would like to, for the record, just applaud people trying different things, whether, you know, for yourself or for your company or whatever. You know, the, the people who came up with, um, you know, cube farms, uh, you know, I think there was something to that. I mean, I think it ended up, I don't know. I can't, I, you know, it's so different for everybody. If your job is an operations person and you can find an economical way to build out your office space, because boy, can that get expensive fast. Uh, but, you know, I think the net net of um, a cube farm was not great for me. I think when they made, because the thing is, a cubicle is kind of the worst of both worlds in some ways. Like a cubicle has like all of the isolation of Devil's Island. And like none of the privacy. It's, you know, you still got the overhead lights. You can still hear mostly everything that's going on. You know, I think one development that actually was kind of better was if you're, you know, let's stop lying to ourselves. We're all still a bunch of people just sitting in a room together. Like these aren't really offices. You can decorate it. You can put up a picture of your cat, but you're still like even go back and watch Office Space. It's so depressing to be in your own little personal oubliette title. And, uh, but, but yeah, I think one improvement was when they made the walls shorter, like lower down. You know, that way, because, you know, it's not that different from like a picture from the 30s of, of a typing pool with a bunch of ladies in rows of 20 typing, you know, really. But bringing that wall down, I think, helped a lot. Um, tear down this wall. Um, 
But I, you know, I guess I say, like I say, I applaud anybody who's trying different stuff. I think that's that's a good thing. But you know, I. I don't know. I don't know. And then you, you go places like some of these companies and they've got like different ways of trying to make private spaces where I guess to me, to me, the ideal thing, and I guess this is a real Joel Spolsky kind of thing, but like to me, the ideal thing was everybody having their own small, uh, comfortable office that they control. And it could shoot, man, as far as I'm concerned, it could be the size of like a, a small closet. Like, you know, whatever it is, having your own area with a door that closes seems optimal to me. Yeah. I know that's super costly. And then having an innumerable number of ways where you can work with people down from like a little casual, you know, place where you could eat lunch together in your group area, all the way up to the whale room where you could have everybody in a big, long conference room, you know, or to, I have to say, a flexibility about saying, hey, if you need to go outside and take care of something for a while, that's okay. No questions asked. You get a certain amount of you know, if I if I were like the nice boss and owned a company, that would be a huge piece of it for me. It's like if you just need to go somewhere. Like, make sure, you know, if you're working on something, make sure people, somebody else is taking care of it and answering the phone. But, like, if you need to just go somewhere for a while, go somewhere. That hope of knowing that you are not stuck there under somebody's watchful eye all that time and you're not going to be... But, again, it varies depending on, you know, who you are and what kind of work you do. I don't know. I I would find it difficult. Dan, we're running awfully long. Would you like to tell me about something else that you like? This is our final message that I would like to deliver. We've talked about... final. it's doodle doodle you know we're talking about how to schedule meetings we're talking about offices we're talking about all this stuff right doodle makes all of this stuff so much easier really really i'm so glad i'm so glad these guys sponsor because this is such a great tool you want to schedule a meeting with human beings they all have different schedules they're all in different locations you just want you just want 30 minutes to talk to them you can you can make all of this scheduling process so easy with doodle Doodle doodle.com instead of sending emails back and forth calendar invites that people are just declining for no reason or never get uh all of this stuff just goes away you don't have to have the frustration. Why They're a very basic, straightforward website at doodle.com. You go there and you say, oh, you know what? I'm available. And you check off the times that you're available throughout the, the week. And you, you somebody else goes in and they say, well, I'm available at these times. And the third, fourth, fifth people go in and say, I'm available at these times. And you find the ones where everyone's available and you book. And that's how you set up your meetings. It's the most straightforward, simple thing in the whole world. The fact that that... Uh, everyone doesn't know about this shocks me because this is now the only way that I will ever schedule meetings, whether it's even with one person or with 10 people. And if Can you I fa- amplify that please. a little bit? Yes. I think there's a, a, a non-obvious thing here because you might hear about something like Doodle and go, well, why would I need that? Everybody already has access to my exchange calendar or, or whatever. People know what my schedule is. But the truth is, like, it's that kind of thinking that's exactly why you need Doodle. Because people do put stuff on their calendar, and then maybe it's something they're not really going to do. Or maybe there's something they're going to do that they didn't put on their calendar. The nice thing about Doodle is, is it does exactly that one thing, which is it, the, well, what, what it does for you is finds the most common times that you would all be able to do something. But, you know, to get to that point where it can do that, it's got an intentionality and single purpose that makes it very different from something like a shared calendar. Yeah. Because you actually go in. You know what? You're a grown-up. You're a grown-ass man. Go look at your own calendar and then go answer when you can do this. Yes, like, yes, I prefer to do it at this time. Yes, I can do it this time. No, I can't do it at this time. And it really works. It works the first time everybody uses it for the precise reason that shared calendars sometimes don't work, which is that we phone that in and we put a bunch of, I'm going to write for 12 hours today. Like, well, yeah, okay, so that means you can't talk to anybody all day long. Doodle solves that. 
really great software. And if you find that you're using this, like, oh, this is free, by the way. But if you find that you're using it, like, at a business environment, you're using it a lot, and you want, like, calendar integration, automatic reminders, that kind of thing, uh, $39 per year will give you all of that. So uh, free for everyone else. Doodle.com. And they have a special URL that's in our show notes. But uh, just go there. Just go go to doodle.com. Easy to remember. And, uh, and, and go check it out. Thanks very much to Doodle for making this show possible. Just sign up, you dingus. Yeah. But I, f- I feel like, you know, this is just such a, it, it, we, we still, after all these years, and then there's people who will say, you know what? Like, I don't need to be, I'm not doing a hands-on job. I don't physically need to be there five days a week. So I'll go into the office when it makes sense to go in and I'll leave when it doesn't. And that's kind of the ideal, I think. But then the downside of that is, um, you know, everyone needs to now have laptops because, you know, the desktop machines and, and laptops can be more expensive. There can be problems they have to deal with, remote working, security, VPN, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, scheduling people to say, well, everyone but this one person is is in the office today. So I guess we'll meet without them. Well, that's not cool. And I don't know. Then then the the people who are paying to rent the space, the company owners rent, are, are paying their rent for space that's not getting used, you know? Well, and you're also not getting, I mean, you know, I've, I, uh, there's a company I've done some work with that, uh, where everybody who works until very, very recently, everybody in this surprisingly large company had something in common. They were all contract workers and they all work remotely. And it's, it's to make something that we use every day. And I was blown away to find that out because they're so effective. And you know, one of the ways that they're effective is that they do talk to each other a lot through the day. You don't just like, you know, leave people out of stuff. But then they also do stuff like they have like, um, they'll have like a big event every year where everybody goes on vacation and the company pays for it, things like that. You know, it's, it's just, I, I remember being that feeling on the one hand of being the guy who was at the central location and then the poor sucker from the field office comes in. And I've certainly been the poor sucker at the field office where like you just don't find out about stuff because you're not in the room. You don't have your robot double there even, you know. There's just, even if, obviously, if you're a manager, a lot of what you have to do as a Michael Lop-esque manager is to just kind of keep the temperature right. Not, not, not physically, but like, keep, just be open to what's happening in the office that maybe people aren't talking about. And you really got to be there for that. But even as an employee, you miss out on a lot, not simply by not being seen, but also just by not, not getting the vibe of what's going on in the office, not noticing little things. You know, it's, uh, it's, it can be very isolating to work remotely. It can be super productive for certain kinds of things, but then for other kinds of things, you're really almost working at a different company when you're remote. You totally are. And it's, I think we're going in this direction very much. You know, like there have been multiple times when I've put out the concept, like we really need a producer here, you know, and uh, we need them to be able to do this that, and, and the other thing, you know, these different skills and stuff. And we would every time it, it became a joke almost that like I would I would when I would tweet about it or when we'd write up the discussion, like you have to be in Austin, like you have to physically be here in Austin because the job is here in Austin. And people would make jokes out of it saying like, and your name needs to be Austin. And, you, you know, but like we have like. We record shows here for hosts that are in other locations. So we need someone to like physically make sure that the, that the, the show is recording and broadcasting from yep. here. You know, like we have people coming into the studio to record who need microphones and headphones and like physical stuff has to happen. And, it, you know, like people sometimes are like almost aghast. They're like, why would you require someone to be there? It's like, well, there's physical things that, that have to happen. And, also, like, we like to work with other people and it's fun to see them and to go to lunch with them and hang out and do things that 
there is that whole aspect that for those years that I spent uh, working in, you know, essentially in my little attic, uh, you know, in the t-shirt and sweatpants, like there was so much of that where I feel like, yeah, you know what? You, you are missing out on, on human beings. And it's different if you have like a family at home and you spend time with them and that, and you're fulfilled in that way. Um, but you miss, you do miss out on a lot of it. And that trend of, oh, all of our workers are remote workers. I don't, like, I'm not sure that that's good for us as a race. You know, I don't know. I just <laughs> don't know species? as a species. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. This robot's creepy. Yeah, I don't want one. I, you know, I would put, I would love it if you had, I will, I'll tell you what. Yeah. I, if you're willing to, I will get a robot for here that you can control. Just you, no one else, just you. That Do you, you have so to be you, able to see me too? Just your face in the little screen. I would, I would, I, no, no, I would allow you to do um, one of those um, Ocean's Eleven things where, where you could have a loop of me doing something productive. <laughs> but uh, then I would just mostly walk around your office, just knock things. I would move things on your desk. I would, let's do it. Let's give it a shot. You know, you can raise the thing up and down, like remotely, and <laughs> have it in seated, seated or standing position. The robot, or oh, you're still talking about? Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy. That's weird. Yeah. All right, listen, we got to button this up. All right. I love you, Merlin, man. I love you too, Dan Benjamin. Yeah.